Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbas and a Bible live from Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. Glad that we can get ready to talk some texts. Not every one of our viewers, well, in fact, not any of our listeners, I should say, get to see you in your new gigs (laughs) today. But you look better, you sound better, uh, you're there on location in your new ministry assignment. Give us a quick reminder what you're up to. Well, I am now the interim minister at Mountain Presbyterian Church in Blairsville, Georgia, and I'm able to do that because uh, my Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, in which I'm ordained, um, has ecumenical agreement, so I'm able to be a pastor in this and do the interim ministry. And anybody's keeping count, this is my fourth denomination. Um, I was a United Methodist student pastor while I was at Duke, and a year or two after I stayed with that. And then since then, I've got ordained as a Lutheran, and I have served Lutheran churches for a very long time, but also an Episcopal parish for four years, and now a Presbyterian parish. So I, I hope to be president of the National Council of Churches, but I think I'm getting a little <laughs> long in the tooth for that. But anyway, yeah, and it's good. It's a small congregation, and uh, we're we're getting on, and that's, it's fun. And one of the things you may notice, those of you out there, uh, the Internet's better here at the church than it is at my <laughs> home, so I may not be uh, – you probably hear me better today. Yeah, so yeah. So it's a, I'll go better say- Internet. Small congregation, better internet. There you go. uh, Good stuff. Well, uh, we are going to keep right on talking today. We're uh, still rolling through Genesis and the companion psalm that goes with that. And I know you've got some ideas to take us on into Romans and the gospel text for today. So tell us what you got uh, rolling around up there in your homiletical brain. So uh, today we've got the Joseph story. Uh, it's interesting. It starts with verse two and we might think of this as the Joseph story, but I love the fact that the author there calls it the story of the family of Jacob. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of a signal to us to think about this, not individually about Jacob, but about a larger picture. Any of us who've done any family systems with Murray Bowen or generation to generation, Rabbi Freeman's Friedman's application to the congregation know that it's know about how, it's all one big piece. So pay attention. This is a family story that Joseph is the focus of. That's one thing. Psalm 105 is one of about five Psalms that focus on the history of Israel in order to ask people to give thanks for what God has done. And this is one of those. Uh, Romans, Paul uh, is talking about, reaches back to Deuteronomy to 
find a frame in which to talk about where is God in Christ in our life, and that we'll talk about that. And in Matthew, we got the walking on the water and Peter sinking and all of that good stuff. The theme that runs through all this for me is the struggle for faithfulness in the midst of life's real-world storms and difficulties. Mm. The struggle for faithfulness in the midst of life's real-world storms. Um, and if anybody's going to, you know, you're in a situation in which you're reading all four lessons, you may focus on one, but that's a theme that you can reach into for all yeah. of these. Because you in, in Genesis, I'm more focused, I'm a little bit focused on, for this, on Reuben and Judah. Sure. Because here they are with all their brothers and all this network, and how do they save Joseph in this situation? And, you know, one against whatever it is, 10 or 11 and all of that. And so you see this struggle for faithfulness. It's be one thing to stand up and say, (laughs) don't kill him. It's another thing to figure out a way to keep him alive. Yeah. And that's a real world struggle. Uh, The psalm has three stories. You know, the... um, the patriarchs wandering around the Joseph cycle and Exodus, all of which are stories of God and people's engagement in liberation and freedom and prison and all that stuff that's in there. And the theme underneath all of that is the struggle for faithfulness. I think Romans, uh, <laughs> this is a question of where is God and how do we find him? I, I the, Philip Yancey wrote a book some years ago, where is God when it hurts? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. Uh, I, mine, mine is where is God when it sucks? You know, when, yep. where is God mm-hmm. when everything's just bad and where do I have to go find him? And this is a message that you don't have to climb high. You don't have to go down deep. You don't have to look around. God, mm-hmm. God has found you look in, inside where God already is and Matthew the obvious the storm on the sea and Jesus comes and the whole issues of faith and doubt so the overriding theme running through this for me is the struggle for faithfulness Mm -hmm. in the midst of life's real world storms there are no easy answers there's just a struggle to hold on yeah it's right interesting and we looked ahead you know, over the course of the summer and chose what track we were going to take, et cetera. But it's right interesting to me as we've been working our way through the midst, how this idea of struggle keeps coming up and various uh, kinds of things. And that connects to the idea you and I talk about an awful lot. And we mentioned uh, in our workshops and some other things, how the lectionary planned, laid out, you know, it's as orderly as you can get. That's why we follow it. It gives us a track to run on. And people say, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to use the lectionary. I want to pick scriptures that uh, apply to the lives of my people. How do I know the lectionary going to, you know, some committee putting it all together. It's amazing how these passages come up. I mean, if you wanted to pick a word, for COVID and race tension and all uh, political uh, skullduggery that's getting higher and hotter every day. Struggle would be about as good as any word I know. And the struggle to be faithful in the midst of a situation with brothers and sisters and people you love and care about. Mm -hmm. And, and how do you speak the truth 
in the midst of a situation that you can blow the world up mm -hmm. if you're not careful. I mean, it's very interesting. So you get into Genesis and that very first line, I just love Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien. That sentence, I remember Hauerwas and Willimon and one of the first books, the two of them did together, resident aliens, you know, that he settled in the land where his father had been an immigrant, a foreigner. And that is part of the nature of what it means to be a person of God, you know, to be in that relation. This world is not my home. Uh, he is a resident. He's an alien in this land. And we are always, uh, we settle in, but in some ways we're always aliens. That's part of the, I love that setup. And then there's a second setup as it goes, as I said, we think of this as the Joseph story, but this is the story of the family of Jacob. It's a family dynamic story, if you want to go there. And you got Joseph, and he's 17. I mean, I don't have to go through all the details. It's a beautifully done story. I, this is kind of like a, a no, short story, a novella, and this is the first chapter. As it's, <laughs> This is the setting it up. Right. And this is beautifully written. A lot of Genesis up till now has been episodic, tied together, stories of the patriarchs moving us through the generations. This whole business of the story of the family of Jacob, which, you know, goes all the way over. And, you know, we all know about the, ben, you know, the brother coming and the famine and Benjamin, and they all moved to Egypt. Is, is a, some, like somebody invented the novella, the short novel, mm -hmm. 3,000 years before anybody else thought of it. It's, <laughs> almost, it's that kind of story with nuance and foreshadowing and all that kind of thing going on. And so you've got this business of the self-contained story and this is part one and here you get you set him up he's the baby he's the pet and he's obnoxious they leave out the section between four and twelve where he has these dreams where his brothers are bowing down to him and then he just heightens it a little bit oh the sun the moon and the stars are all going to bow down to me no wonder they hated a little you know that wasn't a technological glitch. That was me not saying what normal North Carolina boys would say about a young man like that. No wonder they didn't like him. And then Jacob is oblivious to how everybody feels about his youngest. He just dotes on him and gives him a coat. Now, some translations with long sleeves, other, you know, or traditionally the rainbow, technicolor, coat of many colors, the Hebrews obscure. But what is clear if this was not working clothes, mm. this was not a denim jacket, pair of overalls and denim jacket. He gave him something that said, clearly, this boy don't work. <laughs> <laughs> this boy rides out to the field in the Jaguar and looks and sees what his brothers are up to. Daddy sent him over to check on his brother. Now, look at that. He made him a supervisor mm. for his much older brothers. And he's going to report back. He's already been known as a tattletale, a snitch. Mm -hmm. And he sends him to do it. Uh, Jacob's just oblivious to the whole thing. So he gets out there and they just say, well, here's our chance. <laughs> Here you go. Here's our opportunity. And they, their animosity and their resentment has turned to a murder plot. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at it. And here's old poor old Reuben. What do I do? They're going to kill him. And if I turn, if I try to keep him from being killed, I'll get killed too, and we'll both be dead. Yeah. 
So he comes up with it. Well, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in the pit. Mm-hmm. He'll die down there. That way we won't really have blood on our hands. He's going to sneak back and restore him to his father. Yep. Then apparently when he's not there, Judah says, you know, I don't know. I have a total time figuring out whether Judah is a part of trying to save him, uh, keep him alive, or whether Judah's like, here's a chance to make some money. Yeah. Uh, we either could, way. We could kill him or leave him in the pit, but that doesn't put anything in our pockets. So, so then, because Reuben outside this text comes back and finds, he finds a pit empty. Where'd he go? Because he was going to come back and take him to daddy. So here's, here's a sermonically, you can tell that story, but I want to think sermonically for me, it's a lot of thinking about the ethical issues of what do you do in a situation where it's not, you can stand on principle. And nothing gets accomplished. Uh, this is a kind of one of those uh, a sermon that you're talking about. What do we do in, in ambiguous and fraught situations? Mm-hmm. You might apply here. Here we are. Black Lives Matter. Uh, people in the streets. Things are happening over here. All of the COVID-19. What do you do when, when you believe to the bottom of your heart that six feet is not even far enough apart and everybody should have a face mask and you go to something and people aren't, aren't you know, aren't wearing the face mask and how do, do you confront them? Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, that's a minor thing, but what do you do? Mm-hmm. That's one of those things. And, and the second thing is that the, God, the, the story of God all through the scripture happens in real life. It's not fairy tale. See, this is one of the things I get to people that talk about the Bible being a fairy tale. I said, have you ever read it? Yeah. Thanks have you ever always, looked at what's going on in these things? It's not always live happily ever after kind of. Here's it. Jacob, a patriarch who's oblivious, and his children are trying to kill each other, and they sell each other in slavery, and all this kind of stuff's going on. And, and the last thing is that the hiddenness of God. That's a, a Lutheran phrase from the from the Heidelberg Disputation, but there's no mention of God in this text, but God is all in this story as people are, as you look at it from a distance, where is God in, where is God's providence here? And ultimately you get all the way over to that end story in which you, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. And we're building toward that, that God and the God's providence and care is building throughout the story. Absolutely. And just a couple of quick things. Um, This is another told though. Okay. You pointed out the, this is the family and Genesis as an entire book is organized in these books that mean these words, excuse me, in these sections, all led by that Hebrew word told which means the beginning or the foundation or the origin. And it marks a major break. And, and you, so it's a way of saying, okay, the action is changing now. We're, we're starting a whole new section. And it went all the way yeah. back to the generations of the earth, generations of Noah, generations of Abram, so on. So now we've got the generations of Jacob. But you're right. Curiously, it jumps straight to Joseph, yep. the baby skips yep. over all these others. And, you know, we have to remember where we've been and we've read and, and we know that uh, 
Rachel was the preferred wife and this is Rachel's son. And so, yeah, there's all these real life family dynamics working in here. Um, when Genesis is said and done, when the story is all told, more ink is spilled on Joseph than any other character. Right. Even Abraham, certainly Isaac, more than Jacob, whose name was changed last week to Israel. You know, in the future, we always talk about the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. So you'd think he's pretty pivotal, and he is. But it's the Joseph story that is going to be so pivotal in the ongoing story of God's covenant. Remember, that's the big deal here. The covenant continues to pass. God has made promises. How are God's promises going to be fulfilled? And the Joseph story is going to pivot us and set us up for Egypt, set us up for Moses, set us up for the wilderness, set us up for the tabernacle, and eventually the temple, and the kings, and, and the whole shebang. And so why is this story so important to the Hebrew people? When you kind of know all of that, now we come back in and zero in on each right. individual story. I'm going to be less diplomatic than you and perhaps others. <laughs> Although, this, this is my question. I'm not sure this will make it into the pulpit. But my first question here, as my theme has been, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about God's relationship to God's people? My first question is, when I'm thinking about God, you mean God can still use assholes? Because <laughs> Joseph is a little snot. He's a little asshole. He's running and tabling. And you're right. That's all set up. It's, well, where I come from, he'd have been a little piss ain't. A piss ain't. That's a good one. Hey, <laughs> you now just help me. Above, yeah. I could probably get away with that. Um, <laughs> He's a little piss ain't. That's what he is. So, Actual, well, actually, that is something we've seen in this yeah. covenant. Abraham was not the most no. upstanding kind of guy. Isaac, we just don't hear much about him. At Jacob, we've just spent four weeks, four or five weeks, seeing how he was a rascal and a liar and a tricker. Well, now it's passing on down to Joseph. What is it right. with this family? And right. yet, it is the faithfulness of God. We do struggle for, for faithfulness, but it is the faithfulness of God that comes through. Um, it's an appropriate question. Where is God when you're in the pit? Yep. Here is the whole thing's at risk. Every, the whole work of the covenant, it's all at risk here. And yet, the unseen hand God is at work. Later, we're going to come back to this. Later, we're going to come back to this moment when Joseph stands after the revelation to his brothers and says, you meant it for evil. That day in the pit, you meant it for evil, but God has used it for good. So it's important to really experience, I think, this story to feel the dilemma of the brothers, Reuben and Joseph. What is the right thing to do? Sometimes we don't know. We've got to do our best, and right. then we have to wait and see how God redeems We're, time. So, plenty yeah. to play around with in this text. 
And I can't pass by it without talking about the best sermon title I ever heard, and it was the refrain to Reverend Larry Blackwell from the United Holy Church of America in Greensboro, North Carolina, and my colleague at Duke Divinity School, and I went to a revival meeting he was preaching one night, and his title and constant refrain that evening is, you better watch out how you treat your brothers, because you might need them on down the road. Sounds like a good one. And that's 40 years ago, and obviously I've never forgotten it. So moving to the psalm, as I said, uh, Psalm 105 is one of five, and I'm not going to give you the numbers, but there are five of them in the the psalms that um, basically rehearse the history of Israel with an uh, an end they're pointing toward of us giving praise and thanks. Uh, 105, the first verses, one through six, is kind of this invitation to praise. And you'll notice in our setup, it goes one through six, then it leaps to 16 through 22. So the first story that's left out, seven through 15, is about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the second was our section today, which rehearses the story of Joseph all the way through. And then the last one is the Exodus. And one of the things just to point out as we're talking about this struggle piece here is that each of those is a a rehearsal of our failure in God's grace, that God continually working with the human beings to make God's purposes come through. And today, you know, if you're going to do Genesis, then you've got this great section that recalls what what God did through Joseph. Mm -hmm. Moving to to Romans. Paul does a wonderful thing of using insights from Romans 30, 11 through 14, Deuteronomy. I'm from Deuteronomy uh, 30, 11 through 14. Go back and read that. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the, it, the word is not far off in heaven that you got to climb to it. It's not at the bottom of the sea. You got to go get it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's in your heart, and on your mind that without quoting it exactly and without citing it that's exactly what he's talking about do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven to bring christ down he moves it from word of god to christ or who will descend to the abyss that is to bring christ up from the dead but what does it say the law deuteronomy thirty fourteen. he quotes the word is near you on your lips and in your heart now, there's lots of stuff you can play around with. There's one of those confess with your lips and believe in your heart, and it has this line in 10. Believe in your heart and you're justified and confess with your mouth and saved. And some people try to say these are two different things. It's Jewish Hebrew parallelism saying the same thing twice in a different way. There's not a difference between being justified and being saved. It is saying, you feel it in your heart. You can't help but speak it. It's not like, well, you might be saved in your heart, but you got to stand up and tell every. That's not what this says. This is talking about in your mouth and your heart that God is there. It's not way off somewhere you got to climb the mountain to get to or dive in the sea to get. And so there's that's that piece of that setup. And then he talks about and the universality of this. We don't have to find God. God finds us, mm-hmm. and it's universal everybody and that's what it there when it says everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved no distinction jew and greek lord is lord of all and generous to all this is that universal peace that paul is lifting up that god's word goes to everybody and then he says but how verse 14 but how now what's interesting is he builds this backwards from the believer 
to where it came from. How, uh, how are they to call on one whom, whom they've not believed? Uh, how are they to believe in one they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim? And how are, it's building backwards to someone who is sent, the apostles. And Bill, he is building a connection between Jesus to the apostles and the what I call the evangelical succession, the good news succession, the stories from the time Jesus came out of the tomb and those women started saying he is risen to, to you and me. This is what Paul's talking about. The word spreads and people are sent to tell the good news and we hear it and we believe. Mm-hmm. And we are those, the, vo- the feet of those who have believed and that's that's what paul is saying god did not wait for us to go climb a mountain and find god Mm -hmm. god came in christ and in christ he spread the word that goes out through each of us to one another not just the preachers in the pulpit but every christian on the planet keeps talking and keeps talking and keeps sharing Mm -hmm. i get excited about that it's a great text it's a great text and As you know, uh, this particular section of Romans has been worked over quite a bit by lots of, uh, I guess, approaches, denominations, uh, the evangelical church of of my youth. Uh, This is the heart of the Roman road to salvation. You walk right down the book of Romans, and every one of those is a step there, you know. And uh, what got me was nobody, nobody ever told me when I was learning how to witness using these verses, that that verse 13 there was a quote. And yep. that goes all the way back to old Joel in the Old Testament. Yep. <laughs> Everyone yep. who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, so, yeah, that, it is so rich. And Paul does such a great job, as you say, of winding in Torah, of winding in the prophet. Uh, pulls a couple of quotes from here, there, and yon, and, and just, just builds a great argument. Who are the ones who are sent? It yeah. is. It's all of us. It's all of We're us. All bearers of the good news. It's not just mm-hmm. preachers. Not just uh, preachers, yeah. and, and it's, it's whoever good. proclaims and how they proclaim. Mm-hmm. So, moving to Matthew, uh, this familiar story. Well, I would advise. Uh, you know, you could use it if you want to, if you don't think your people have heard of, of the various preachers gone fishing stories, and the one that gets out of the boat and walks to shore to get his lunch and then walks back and then the one that said well i better the other one said well i better show as much faith and he gets out and sinks <laughs> i reckon we should have told him where the rocks were you know? <laughs> old joke you didn't tell him about those stumps did you no yeah. not about the stump but uh, matthew uses mark uh, and you can tell this by the three times he says and immediately mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's a that's a mark marker so to speak that he uses but in Matthew, this really functions as an epiphany and revelation story. In Mark, it's a little bit more of a Jesus, the cosmic Christ and power story. This is a real story that builds narratively to a, a, a Christological witness, you are the son of God. It's interesting how the story, builds, and Matthew wrote it for the church. So you've got the disciples in the boat are like the church in the world. This is allegorical and intended in some ways. And so they're they're there, and Jesus comes, and people respond to him with fear 
but then there's assurance. So two things Jesus brings walking across the water is both fear and ultimately assurance. Now, then you've got Peter who responds impetuously with immediate faith, and he reaches out, and he's doing fine until he realizes he can't do this. You remember the old Roadrunner cartoons? You know, Wiley e. Coyote would run off the cliff, and he was doing fine until he looked down and realized he was running in midair. Boom. This is kind of as Peter does, but this is one of those for the early church. This is a moment. Reaching out in faith, you will try. Sometimes you'll fail, and Jesus will rescue. It's not a, it's so faith is not an either or. It's, it's kind of a, we grow in it. And Peter's a demonstration of that. He gets rescued. And then the disciples in the boat, the church in the world, looks in the storm and says, truly, you are the son of God. Interestingly enough, you can see this outline textually. And you can work off of it this way. Uh, you got to set up with the story, and he dismissed the crowd, and they went out in the boat, and it was battered by the waves, and they're sitting in the boat, and they see Jesus coming, and they're terrified, so there's the fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is me. It's a proclamation. Do not be afraid. It's a revelation. But immediately, Peter, like the devil in the temptations, if it is you, if you are, if it is you, let me walk on the water. Mm -hmm. Both faith and doubt. I mean, he's going to get out and walk, but he prefaces it as, prove it to me, yeah. if it is you. And that's the way we respond. We hear the revelation and we test it. We test it to see how far we can go. And sometimes... We fail and say, see, it wasn't, it wasn't, God isn't to be trusted when it really wasn't mm. God, as he says, why did you doubt? Yeah. So there's that. And then he rescues him again. And then you get down to verse 33. And those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God, the ultimate revelation. So you've got a, 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 an outline of Jesus proclaims, Peter doubts, the church proclaims not only is it Jesus, but Jesus is the Son of God. It's a revelation story. Right. It's uh, familiar territory for the most part, but uh, it's, again, such a great story. Such uh, There's still any number uh, of ways to go about it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, Sunday dinner at Grandma's house and uh, all the good stuff, but it always featured fried chicken. And <laughs> you come around, and after everybody's, you know, gotten the best parts and whatever, you come back around and you start picking. There's still more chicken on this one. <laughs> all right. There's more in this story. Yep. You can always go back and get a little bit yep. more. Yeah. Uh, uh, awesome, awesome story. Well, we've uh, tried to throw a few ideas out and, uh, pardon the irreverence from time to time, um, but that's who we are. Uh, nobody. They, as, as, you know, I was at a church one time, and I lost my temper at, a, unfortunately, a pastor parish relations committee, and I let a few words fly, 
And then we reconciled and I got in the car and I called the church council president and I said, I lost my temper at the council meeting. And she said, did you use some dirty words, Delmer? And I said, oh, you've already heard. She says, Delmer, anybody that was going to leave this church because you occasionally cuss left a long time ago? Yeah. I would argue that our amongst our listeners, there are very few that don't know that we aren't right. <laughs> We're just not, not right in the head. They, thought, anybody going to be offended by us left a long time ago. I, I thought you might be going to tell us again about your grandma and say, yeah, that Delmer, he's a good boy. That mouth, though. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. Methodist must be awful hard up. He's a good boy, but what are they going to do about that mouth? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bubba. Uh, not much left for us to do today, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Safety Net, performed by Riot. We go out today with Winner Takes It All. Performed by Abba, written by Benny Goren, Bror Anderson, and Bjorn Oliveus. I don't want to talk about things we've gone through, though it's hurting me. Now it's history I played all my cards And that's what you've done too Nothing more to say No more ace to play The winner takes it all The loser standing small Beside the victory
If it makes you feel sad And I understand You've come to shake my hand I apologize If it makes you feel bad Seeing me so tense No self-confidence But you see The winner takes 